right. Well, it's good to be with you guys tonight. If you're new, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's so good to be back in Lang Auditorium. If you were with us last week, we met in the CAC, and it just felt a little weird to me because we used to meet in there. It's a very small, sweaty space. So it's good to be back here where you can spread out and uh, not feel like you're sitting cheek to cheek with someone. So yeah, it's good to see you guys. And yeah, if you're new tonight, I just want to say welcome. And please, if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you after service. So grab me. Uh, that would just be incredible. So, and if you're back, uh, thank you for coming back. It's good to see you guys. When you come back, it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm not crazy and trying to do something that God's not blessing. But when you come, it makes me feel like, okay, God's doing something. So anyways, it's not about me though. All right, so every one of us has believed a lie at some point in our life. There's been something we thought was true that's not true. Uh, for me, something that I believed was in Santa Claus. I'm sure many of you believe in Santa Claus, unless you grew up in a super spiritual home and there's no place for Santa Claus there. Uh, for me, I believed in the Holy Trinity, uh, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus. Uh, that was a joke, laugh. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so I believed in these things, and, and it was important to me, but it's such a small lie, right? It's not that big of a deal. Uh, but then as I got older, uh, there's other lies, I believe, that uh, were a little more serious, okay? So for instance, when I was in high school, I grew up in kind of a farm area, and there's not a lot to do. So in high school, I, I believe a lie that in order to have fun, in order to, you know, meet people who you want to date or whatever, then I had to go drinking. I had to go party. And I thought that the key to my happiness in high school was getting drunk. And I also felt like, like the only way to be my true self was if I got drunk. Because, you know, I was pretty timid at school, but when I got drunk, I was like, yo, what up, ladies? You know, so that was, uh, for me, I thought I couldn't be bold unless I was drunk. And that was a lie uh, that I believed for a couple of years, and then Jesus set me free of it. But um, another lie that I believed was that I needed a, or a significant other to be happy. I thought I needed a wife or a girlfriend at the time to be happy. And, and this caused me to do some destructive things, to go from girl to girl to girl in relationships, seeking out this happiness and the satisfaction. And here's the reality with both of these lies, is they never came up, or they never proved themselves to be true. Because uh, neither thing led to my happiness. It actually led to my despair. And it took me falling into my despair and, and realizing that these things were lies to, uh, to truly encounter Jesus. And, and in that moment of despair, Jesus revealed himself to me. And in a verse we're going to read tonight in John 8, 32, where it says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, that verse became real to me. I knew that or from that point on, when I encountered the love of God in Jesus Christ, when I encountered him, I knew that, that whatever Jesus says is going to lead to my freedom. And I knew whatever the devil says... Or, or whatever the world tells me that's a lie is going to lead to my destruction. I share that to say that, that tonight we're going to talk about uh, some lies. We're going to talk about some lies we believe. Um, and specifically, we're going to talk about lies that uh, we believe about God and lies we believe about ourselves and lies we believe about the good life, what the good life is, what the purpose of life is. We're going to talk about some of those things. You know, some of us believe like I did that you need a significant other to be happy, and that is a lie from Satan. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks in our dating series. Some of you don't come during that series because you don't want to feel convicted, but I encourage you to come. Uh, we're going to talk about God's design for dating. Uh, but some of us believe that God doesn't like us or he doesn't want to be around us. Um, and that leads us to avoid God. And it leads us to, uh, you know, not jump into the intimacy that he offers us. And others of us believe that the purpose of life is to accumulate wealth and to arrive safely at death at about 85 years old. We believe that's pretty much our life's purpose. And, 
And, and there's so many lies we can believe. There's so many lies that are told to us. You know, in other lies, we believe that to be happy, we need to fulfill our most primal desires, that to say no to a desire that we have is harmful. That's a lie from Satan. And all these lies, they lead to your destruction. They lead to you not living the life that God has called you to live. So tonight what I want to do is discuss how believing these lies leads to bondage and how believing truth from Jesus leads to freedom. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Mountains Move, and we've been talking about different spiritual mountains that stand in our way and how Jesus can empower us or he can move those mountains for us. So the first week we talked about fear and how Jesus wants to move the mountain of fear and replace it with a deep sense of trust in God and in his goodness. Uh, Last week, it took us about two weeks to get to week two, but last week we talked about apathy. If you didn't come to that, you need to listen to that sermon. The Spirit just showed up. I'm not tooting my horn, but just God did something. So please listen to that sermon. We talked about apathy and how God wants to move that mountain and replace it with us taking responsibility for our lives and for our faith. Because I feel like, I'm convinced that the main sin we struggle with in America, uh, specifically for Christians in America, is apathy. Like we give in to this idea that, hey, I can't make a difference. I'm just going to kind of go through the motions and other people can worry about the important things in life. So please listen to that if you didn't. And now this week we're going to talk about how Jesus can move the mountain of lies that Satan sets up and replace it with a deep sense of truth and that this truth can lead to our freedom, okay? And this whole sermon series comes from Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking, okay? So he says this. He says, Truly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, what, or whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So Jesus says, if we have faith, we can move mountains that have stood over our lives. In 2019, I specifically believe in this year, I believe that God is going to move mountains in this campus ministry. I believe he's going to move mountains in your personal life. I believe he's going to move mountains on this campus. I believe that there's going to be a generation of people on this campus who say, we are going to take Jesus at his word and say, if he says whatever you ask for in prayer, you're going to receive it, then that must be true. And we're going to start praying and believing that he can move mountains. And I believe uh, that mountains are going to fall. I just believe that this year. So that's why we're starting with this series. But before I get too much into uh, just 2019 in general, I want to talk about a specific mountain, and that's lies. So tonight, our sermon title is Lies to Truth. Jesus wants to move the mountain of lies that brings bondage and replace it with a deep belief in and obedience to his truth, and this will bring us freedom. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. So if you, do, if you haven't read the Bible, the New Testament is about three-fourths of the way through, or about two-thirds, somewhere in there. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And the gospels are just the stories of Jesus' life and ministry. So if you're interested in Jesus, I encourage you to read the gospels it talks about him. It, it, it shares his teachings and, and the ways he interacted with people. John 8 specifically contains Jesus' longest teaching about the devil. And what's interesting about this passage is it says nothing about demonic possessions. It says nothing about spiritual warfare in the sense of what we think if you grew up in church where you go to battle and prayer and you're fighting off demons. It doesn't say anything about that, although like, those things are real and I believe in, in demonic possession and how Jesus can deliver us and all those things. But what Jesus talks about is not this stuff, not the super spiritual things, but instead he talks about the devil's propensity to tell us lies. And he exposes that the devil's primary strategy 
is not to possess you with demons, but instead is to get you to believe wrong ideas about God, about yourself, and about the world. I love this passage. It's a little bit confusing the first time you read it, but I hope by the time we're done that you have a clear understanding of it. So let's look at verse 30, and we're going to go all the way to 47. So bear with me. It says this, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay, so Jesus had just got done preaching. People believed in him. Hoorah, you know, we're excited, okay? And then in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, he said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Okay, so these people had just believed in Christ and they're already debating him, like literally two verses later. And we often do that. We say, I want a ticket to heaven, but Jesus ain't going to tell me what to do, right? All right, conviction. All right, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever but the Son remains forever. So if the Son, which is Jesus, uh, sets you free, then you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham's our father, which was a spiritual badge, okay? So these are Jewish people, and they found their faith... Or they found their significance in the fact that they were Jews. They found their significance in the fact that they were people of God and that Abraham was their father, okay? Uh, so they're basing their whole salvation off of the fact that they are Abraham's, you know, biological sons and daughters, you know, like way down the line. So anyways, Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works that Abraham did, okay? So he's saying you may be his, his biological descendants, but you're not actually living like Abraham. And then it says in verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. And you are doing the works that your father did. So, who are, so who's their father? If it's not Abraham, who's their father? Well, we're going to find out. And then they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. So they're taking a dig at Jesus, right? Because Mary was a virgin. She wasn't married when she had Jesus. And they're saying, you were born of sexual immorality. In a sense, for lack of a better word, they're calling him a bastard, okay? You know, for lack of a better word, I'm only sharing it to... Uh, explain like, what it is, okay? So don't say I cussed at Kyle. Okay, so we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God, were, or if God were your father, if you were truly Abraham's spiritual sons and daughters, then you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Because you are of your father, the devil, Ooh, that escalated fast. Okay, a few verses before, they're saved. Hallelujah. And now Jesus is calling them children of the devil. Okay, that escalated really, really fast. And he says, and your will is to do your father's desires because he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You don't want to hear the truth. He says, you can't handle the truth, right? And then verse... 46, or which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the, and the reason why you cannot hear me is that you're not of God. All right, that's heavy. Uh, the main idea tonight is this. If you're taking notes and you want to write one thing down and take a nap, here you go. To move the, mountains of li- or to move the mountain of lies, we must embrace truth. Okay, so that should seem obvious, right? 
but it's not as easy as it seems. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage and hopefully explain it just a little bit better. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your truth, and I thank you that you call us to hold these things in intention. There's uh, the radical truth that you love us more than we could ever dream. God, I pray that we would hold that, and then at the same time, God, uh, that each of us would be able to hear the truth that you share with us, even when it's hard. So God, I pray that this would be a people who truly are full of grace and truth, and I pray that you would move tonight in power. So God, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first point tonight, so there's a main idea, which is like the big, it ties everything together, and then I kind of break it down. So the first point is this, to move the mountains, or to move the mountain, I keep wanting to say mountains, all right? To move the mountain of lies, we must realize that the devil lies to us in order to destroy us. All right, so before we can talk about what the devil does, we have to establish that there is a devil, okay? Because, you know, for modern people, this seems weird. There's a little man with horns, and he's got red skin, He's running around trying to kill us. That seems weird to us. It seems kind of silly. It seems like it could be a myth from the pre-scientific age. However, uh, the thing we see uh, from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation in entire scripture and through the, teaching of, the teachings of Jesus is that the devil, according to Jesus, is real. There's a real devil whose chief goal, his whole goal is to destroy you. His goal is to destroy humanity. So devil... In the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, it's this word diabolos, okay? So it's kind of like diabolical. That's where we get that word from, diabolical. It sounds like the devil, right? So it's this word di- or diabolos, and it means prone to slander or slanderous or accusing falsely. The devil is also called the Satan. He's called the accuser. He's called the tempter, the evil one, the serpent of old, and, and so on and so forth. And these are all titles. They're not names. So the devil's name is not Satan. It's a title. Okay, Satan means accuser. It's a title that Jesus gives him. And Jesus also calls him, in other passages, he calls him the ruler of this world. He says that multiple times. And, and, there were, and the word for ruler in the Greek is the word used to identify the highest ranking official in a political government. Okay, so the idea is that Satan is the most powerful creature in the cosmos outside of Jesus, right? Outside of God. Satan is the most powerful creature in the cosmos. So what's important to know about the devil for our purposes tonight is first he's real, okay? So if you didn't believe that, I hope you will if you trust Jesus with your life because he said it. Two, he's out to destroy you. And three, as I said earlier, his primary strategy in destroying you is to lie to you and to get you to believe wrong ideas. He wants you to believe wrong ideas because the ideas which we hold true about God, about ourselves, about the world, these are the things which we build our lives upon. And he knows, just like a Jenga set, right, if he can start pulling those things out, then our lives will crumble. So he's trying to derail uh, the truths which we build our lives upon. Okay, so that's what I want you to get about the devil. So here's an example of a lie that the devil might want you to believe. So and how it causes destruction. So, for example, if we believe that the chief way to be happy is to make lots of money, then we're going to exert all of our efforts into that. Our whole lives are going to be based upon, you know, making money, and it's going to even cause us to miss out on other areas of life. Maybe we'll put our money over our family or over pursuing God or pursuing a spouse, 
And that's just one belief that can corrupt your entire life. This idea that, this American idea that, that money is the whole, uh, or money provides happiness. This belief can cause destruction in your whole life. In our passage tonight, Jesus tells people who had just professed belief in him that they needed to be set free by truth. And they didn't think they needed to be set free because, like I said, they were children of Abraham. Although they had just professed belief in Jesus, they take issue with the very first thing he teaches them. The very first thing. That happens so often. I see it all the time. People are like, I want forgiveness. And then Jesus challenges them. They're like, I don't really want Jesus anymore. I'm going out the back door laying on a torum tonight. The first thing he teaches them, they get offended by. They get offended by. So the real test of faith, the real test of genuine, true, authentic, biblical faith is what you do when God challenges you, when God tells you something that you don't want to hear. Timothy Keller says it this way. The quote should be on the screen. He says, and this is a pastor and Bible scholar. He's a genius. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, then you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Okay, so the good thing is when God challenges you, you know, okay, I didn't just create this God in my head, right? Because if you create a God in your head, then he's just going to tell you everything you want to hear. But if God challenges you, if he tells you things you do not want to hear, then you might, or then this might be the true God. And that's why I believe in Christianity. I believe in Christianity because there's so many things that the Bible says that are not, uh, things that are not natural for us. Like, you know, self-denial, like selling all your possessions and giving to the poor. That doesn't sound like something someone would make up. They're making up a God, right? I believe that the fact that the Bible disagrees with our culture so much is what tells us that it might be true. To the Jews' claim that they didn't need to be set free because they were children of Abraham, Jesus says that although they are children of Abraham by birth, they don't live like Abraham, who accepted God's word. We'll see that later. But instead, they live like the devil who didn't accept Jesus' word and he wanted to kill Jesus. So John 8.37 says this, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham biologically, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So Jesus is making the point that if we refuse to submit our lives to him and to live by his truth, then we are living like the devil. We are, are living like the devil who's a liar. Okay, so John 8, 44, it says, it says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And, and, and when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he, is a, or for he is a liar and the father of lies. And there's some an allusion here to Genesis chapter 3, okay, which is the first time we see the devil in Scripture. It's like three chapters in. He's a little serpent sliding around in a garden. And this is what it says about the devil being a liar here. We see the devil lying here, so let's read this quick. It can help us to kind of understand the devil's strategy and how he might speak to us, how he might try to get us off the path towards Christ. So it says this. It says, Now the serpent, who's the devil, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is what the devil says. He said, did God actually say, ooh, so true. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Because, you know, God had told them, don't eat of any tree in the garden. Or don't eat of this tree, specific tree, because if you eat of that tree, then you're going to invite sin into the world. Okay, so the devil is saying, hey, you should eat of that tree. In verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it, 
or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, so from the very beginning, the devil has been lying to us. He's been trying to get us to question God, to question God's goodness, to question God's teachings, to question the things that God tells us to do to live the best life we can live. He cunningly asked, did God actually say? Did God actually say? So think about that. When that pops in your head, as you're considering doing something that kind of convicts you, kind of makes you feel like you might not be pursuing God's will, and then, and then you hear that voice that says, did God actually say that you shouldn't do that? Consider that that might be the devil. It's the way he's been fighting uh, since the very beginning. All right, so the devil wants to question foundational, gospel, Jesus-centered truths that we're called to build our lives upon because he knows that these truths that God calls us to build our lives upon are going to lead to our joy and they're going to lead to our flourishing. So for instance, he might ask this question. He might say, did God actually say that you're loved by him no matter what? You know, you did some bad things. Did God actually say that you're loved by him? I think you're a little bit too screwed up. That sounds like the devil to me. Or he might say, did God actually say that that's a sin? Or he might say, did God actually say that you should give to the poor and live sacrificially? Like, hey, they deserve it. You know, they didn't work or whatever. You know, they're lazy. Did God actually say to give to the poor and take care of those who have less than you? Those are the kind of things that the, kind of things that the devil says. And not only does the devil try to tell us, you know, flat out lies, right? Like those are just flat out lies. But he also tries to tell us lies that are about 98% true, okay? So how many of you know if something's only 98% true, it's, it's still not true completely, right? It's only 98%. If you have done, you know, math, you should know that, right? So 98% true, but there's like 2% of something that he says that is off. How many, how many of you have heard something that sounds good, right? It sounds okay, that makes sense, but it's just something about it that's just a little bit off. You can't even put your finger on it. The devil loves to attack in that way. So this quote, or John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland. He says this. He says, the, or he says the devil is well aware that, they're, that the best lies are those that are mostly true. If you really want to deceive someone, then to make a statement that is 98% true and just make sure that the 2% that's off is the 2% that matters. So we have to be aware that just because something is mostly true or it sounds good or it sounds right, it doesn't mean it's truth. And we have to notice when the devil is trying to get us to fall into a lie by giving us a little bit of truth. So with that said, it was through this original lie in Genesis chapter 3 that sin was brought into the world and the new so-called believers in John 8 were falling into that same seduction. Okay, so in John 8, we see it still happening. The devil saying, did God actually say? For them, the lie that they believed is that they did not need to be set free from their sin because they were children of Abraham. Like some of you... I'm just going to be real with you. Some of you think, I grew up in church. I prayed the prayer when I was five. I don't need to be set free. The same temptation is still raging today among Christian people in our country. We say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. I believed in Jesus. You know, I got a ticket to heaven. I don't need to be set free. The devil continues to lie to people all throughout Scripture. So one thing for me that I struggle with is not trusting that God will provide for my needs. I have this irrational fear. So I'm monthly, or I'm a missionary, okay? So I'm a missionary to the campus. People support me monthly with financial gifts. They support Chi Alpha. That's how we buy this stuff. It's people giving generous donations, okay? So there's this irrational fear I have. And it comes up all the time where I'm just like worried that all of our biggest donors are gonna drop off at once. We're just gonna lose all of our financial support at once. It's an irrational fear, okay? This morning, 
I was, you know, hearing the devil say that to me, and I journaled, and I was like, God, I'm worried, I'm worried, and I have no reason to be worried, just irrational. I'm just like, God, I'm worried that, you know, our supporters would drop off. And then literally, I turned to Exodus chapter 16 to read my Bible reading plan, because I read the Bible every day. I go through the Bible in a year. And Exodus 16 is the story of how God's people are wandering in the desert. They're whining. They're saying, hey, God, we need some food. And then God provides manna. Okay, so manna is just some or bread or whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. But the point is he provides food every day. He provides just enough for that day. And then they have to keep coming back every day and, and getting that food, eating that food for that day. And then the next day they have to get it again. God continues to provide each day. And it was just the Lord speaking to me, saying, the devil is lying to you, Daniel. I'm going to provide for you. Daniel, your foundation is not on your financial supporters. Your security does not come from them, but your security comes from me and the fact that I own the cattle on a thousand hills and I can provide. I don't have any shortage of money. But the only way that I would have been able to hear that from God was if I opened up the scripture. Because if I read Exodus chapter 16 this morning, if I had just prayed and said, all right, God, you know, maybe I would have heard something, but for me, I just, like, I think about too much stuff, so I have a tough time hearing God, just, like, you know, hearing his voice. Like, I don't just have, like, this connection where I'm like, all right, God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I need to read scripture, okay? Some of you are, like, super spiritual, and you just hear right from the voice of God. It's like, hey, hey, wake up, Isabel. I got some truth for you this morning. No, for me, I have to read scripture. And we see this in Matthew 14, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, what does he do? Every time he's tempted by the devil, he says, it is written. He points to scripture and he counteracts the devil with scripture, okay? So point is, the devil is going to lie to you. And we need to recognize that in scripture we can find truth, okay? So that leads me to my second point. To move the mountain of lies, we must realize that Jesus tells us the truth in order to set us free. In John 8, 31 through 32, it says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says that those who abide, which it's a fancy word for remain, so those that, those that remain in his word, then they will know the truth, which suggests that you know, Jesus' word is truth. Okay, that's obvious, but let's just make the point that God's word is truth. He then says that you're not only gonna know this truth, it's not just gonna be something in your head, but it's going to set you free. So tonight, we need to understand that Jesus is passionately committed to telling you the truth about yourself, even when it's hard. Oh, when Jesus tells me the truth about myself, like he says, Daniel, you got some pride there. He says, Daniel, you're not trusting me. He says, Daniel, you're looking to other people for your security. Or Daniel, you want to be liked too much. That's what I struggle with. I want to be liked by everybody. And God will speak to me sometimes and say, hey, Daniel, he tells me the truth about myself. And the reason he does that is not because he's a big, mean God who wants to make you feel bad, but it's because he loves you and he knows that truth is going to set you free. Jesus said that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus loves us so much that he will tell us the things that we don't want to hear. He'll tell us the things that nobody else is telling us because they you know, don't want to hurt our feelings because he wants us to live the life that he's called us to live. So John 1.14, it says this. It says, in the, in the word became flesh. Okay, so word is just a word for Jesus in John. Okay, so point is, and Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. 
full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. That's my favorite verse in the Bible because I believe it captures Jesus so beautifully. You know, Jesus was so, or so loving, so graceful, so tender that children were comfortable sitting on his lap. In a patriarchal culture, women were comfortable with him. He treated them well. He was so full of grace, but at the same time, he was so full of truth that he would go into the temple and flip tables over and call people out in front of everybody. Jesus is full of grace and truth. I think we get the grace side pretty well in America. I think we struggle a little bit more with the truth side. There are people who struggle with the truth side. There's people that are angry. They just want to tell the truth all the time and love nobody. But there's also people who struggle with the grace side where they're just like, hey, I don't want to tell you anything that you don't want to hear because I don't want to hurt your feelings. But Jesus stands in the middle and he says, you're more loved than you could ever imagine, but at the same time, you're more flawed than you could ever dream. But hey, if you invite me into your life, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll make you a new creation and you're going to live the life that you, were, that you were created to live. All right, so Jesus is full of grace and truth. You get anything tonight, you should get that. In our culture today, our culture today, we have bought into the lie, which is from Satan, right? Satan's the father of lies, that to love someone is to always agree with them or tell them what they want to hear. So we bought into this idea, which is crazy. If you look at the definition of love, if we bought into this idea that love is passive, that love doesn't ever confront anybody, that love doesn't say anything awkward, that, that love never brings any tension into a relationship. It just, you know, you just say, hey, hey, hey you do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. You know, we don't really need to get involved in each other's lives. That runs contrary to what, or to the way that Jesus defines love because love causes us to do something. Love is laying down your life for someone else. In, in 1 John 3.16, it says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The life and sacrifice of Christ runs contrary to the narrative of our culture that says you can never tell someone the truth if they disagree with it. In 1 John, we know that it says that God is love in 1 John. It says that elsewhere in 1 John. So in God's very nature, he is love. However, his love does not always cause him to just tell us that, hey, hey, we're living a perfect life and everything's great. Instead, sometimes his love disciplines us. Sometimes it tells, or tells us things we don't want to hear. So, or so last week, some review for you. We read Revelation chapter 3. In verse 19, says this. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, it says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So Jesus tells us that sometimes he's going to discipline us because he loves us. He's going to tell us the truth even when it's hard because Jesus is not after you just feeling good, although he wants you to feel loved and all those things, but he's also after your freedom, and he knows that the only way to freedom is if we realize truth. So for me, it took me realizing that I was so sinful. Like I kind of had this idea that if I didn't do a few big bad sins, then God would be cool with me. So, you know, I could do anything with girls besides have sex. Okay, just being really real. I can push every boundary, push every line, as long as I didn't do the big, big sins, okay? So for me, it took crossing all these lines and having Jesus speak to me and saying, you know, you are really, really messed up in a loving way. Okay, he says that to me. And then I realized how much I need Jesus and I repent, which is something I needed to do. And I fell before his feet and I said, God, have mercy on me. It was this... Uh, or just this despair before God saying, God, I need you. And in that moment, he met me and he told me, Daniel, there's nothing that you could ever do to separate you from my love. But I needed to get to that place where I was repentant, where I was truly sorry for what I had done and this place where I really wanted to change. So sometimes Jesus is going to tell you, or tell you the truth, even if it leads to a little bit of crying, 
even if it's a little bit hard for you to hear, because he wants you to find freedom. It's only found on the other side of hearing the truth about yourself. Okay, so John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so the devil has come to destroy you. Jesus has come to give you life, even when he says things that you don't want to hear. All right? So consider surgery. We talked about a doctor earlier. We're going to talk about it again. Uh, So surgery, Jacob talked about a doctor. I didn't talk about it. But anyways, that's besides the point. Surgery. Like you need to get something done to you so you can get healthy, okay? So for me, like this isn't a great example, but the only surgery I've had is getting my wisdom teeth pulled, okay? I wasn't excited about it, but if I didn't get them pulled, my perfect smile, it's not really that perfect, but my perfect smile was going to get messed up, all right? So I needed to go into surgery, and it hurt a little bit. It hurt for a few days afterwards, but I needed to have that happen so I could still have a straight smile, right? So sometimes when, or sometimes the pathway to healing is a little bit of pain, all right? But the little pain we experience to get healed is not as great as the pain that comes if we don't get healing, right? Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to get across. Jesus is going to tell us the truth. And I just want you tonight to have a right view of God, that sometimes he might say hard things to you. All right, so now we're going to get to the practical part of this message. Uh, So, so far we've established that the devil's goal is to destroy us and that Jesus wants to set us free. Okay, so what do we do about all this? I'm glad you asked. Third point, last point, we're done after this. To move the mountain of lies, we must accept and obey whatever Jesus says and whatever he tells us to do. If you want to move that mountain in 2019, then you have to get to a posture of humility before the King of Kings that says, I'm going to believe just whatever this book says about you, about the world, about me. I'm going to believe that to be true, and I'm going to live the life that, you, or live the life that you've called me to live. All right, so theologians talk about these two things in this way. They talk about orthodoxy, okay, so that's right belief, all right, and then there's orthopraxy. So Jesus, to get free, we need to have both of those things. We need to humble, or humble ourselves before the King of Kings and say, I'm going to believe right things and also act in right ways, okay? So that's the way that uh, we get free, all right? We need both these things. We need right belief and right actions. So John 8, 31 through 33 again says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in verse 33, it says, or says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? So in, in verse 33, there's something really incredible that you can capture here if you pay attention to the text. It, it captures this common human temptation that all of us face, okay? So when Jesus exposes us, or when he tells us something we don't want to hear, we each have the temptation to do one of two things. The first thing is to defend ourselves and say, it wasn't me. I don't know if you guys were, okay, that's a bad song. I was going to bring up a song from Shaggy from a long time ago. It wasn't me. Uh, bad song. I don't know why I brought that up. Anyways, just forget about it. Hopefully you weren't like processing things at that point. Um, so anyways, so <laughs> two temptations. One, we either defend ourselves, okay, we say it wasn't me, or we deflect like we say, I don't think God's actually saying that to me, okay? So when God tells us things that we don't want to hear, we're going to defend ourselves <laughs> or we're going to deflect, okay? So defend to say it wasn't me and deflect is to say, hey, he's not really saying that. That's the two temptations we're going to face and we see it here with the Jews. They are saying, we've never been enslaved to anyone. What are you talking about? That wasn't me. We haven't been enslaved to anybody. 
If we give in to this temptation to defend or deflect, then we're going to stay in bondage because Jesus says that truth leads to freedom. So if we continue to believe lies, we continue to defend or deflect, we're going to be stuck in bondage. However, we take a posture of humility before God and acceptance of whatever Jesus says, then we can be free. So in verse 39 and 40, Jesus, and it's, it's kind of easy to miss this, but Jesus shows us how we can have the right posture to receive what he says to us when it's hard, okay? So it says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God, and this is not what Abraham did. So Jesus is saying, if you want to find freedom, then you need to be like Abraham. You would do the works that he did. So what did Abraham do? Okay, so in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is minding his own business. He's an old man with a wife who's old as well. He has no kids. He's just minding his own business, has a lot of cattle, which was a big deal back then, has a lot of cash. He's living the good life. And then God appears to him just like he does to Isabel every morning and says, Abraham. I'm just kidding. That was a joke from earlier. Anyways, he says, Abraham, go from your country to a land that I will show you. He says, I'll make you a great nation. All right, so he tells him two things. Leave all the stuff you have accumulated over your life and go to some random country. I'll show you later. And then he says, you're going to have a great nation. You're going to have lots of children. So Abraham is an old man, and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to have kids. It doesn't look like he should be able to travel and move somewhere else. But what does he do? Does he argue with God? Does he defend or deflect or say, I can't do it, find someone else? No, what he does is he humbly accepts what God tells him to do, and he goes from his country to a land that God will show him. And like 20 years later, he finally has a kid. It took that long, right? So he believed God even when it seemed like his situation, or his situation was impossible. So Genesis 15, 6 says this. It says, and he believed the Lord... And it was counted to him as righteousness. So the way that you get saved, okay? So the Apostle Paul in the New Testament points back to this text to say how you can be saved, okay? So, so, so the way you're saved from your sin is if you believe God, if you have faith in him, if you have faith in Jesus, we know in the New Testament. So for Abraham, his righteousness came because he trusted God. He did what God told him to do. He didn't just believe rightly, but he also did right. And he followed God's commands for his life. So just like Abraham, we are called to believe the Lord and, reje- and reject the lies of the devil. And we're called to obey Jesus no matter what he asks us to do and no matter how counterintuitive or hard it seems to be. If we do this, then it says we'll find freedom. Freedom reigns, right? Freedom, come on. We'll find freedom. We will move this mountain of lies, this mountain of bondage, and we will experience true joy and life and freedom. For me, when I first came to UNI in college, I had just started to read the Bible. And I found as I read the Bible that it told me a lot of things about myself that I didn't know were true. It, it told me a lot of things about God that I didn't know were true because I just went by what everyone else told me. And I found that some things were counterintuitive. Like, for example, I thought like, like God's whole purpose in life, or whole purpose of the universe is that I get to live God's plan for my life. I heard that passage from Jeremiah, which is a great passage, a hundred times. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for hope and a future. I heard that all the time. I wanted to get it tattooed on my arm because it's the only verse I knew. And I thought that God's whole purpose was to make me happy and fulfill my dreams. But then I read the scriptures and it said things like, take up your cross and follow me. It said things like, deny yourself and come and follow me. And it begins to kind of 
be something tough I wrestled with. It was tough, but the thing I found is I continued to, or to read things that were maybe a little different than what I knew before and things that were hard to process. And as I obeyed those things and, and believed those things, I found that I found true joy in life. I found joy not in pursuing my dreams, but in denying myself and following Jesus because he knows what's best for me way more than I do, right? I thought I was supposed to, you know, be like a rock star or I don't know what I thought, but I had these ideas in my head. But God knew that the best place for me would be to be a pastor, right? And that's not for all of you. But the point is, at some point, we have to stop telling God what we believe and let God tell us what to believe. We've got to stop telling God what we're going to do and ask God to tell us what to do. And as we do that, you're going to find life. I promise you, you are in this period of life right now where you have the rest of your life in front of you. I think most of you are not married, and you have the opportunity to choose whatever job God calls you to. And I pray that you be obedient I pray that you would uh, let this book guide you because if you do that, I promise you, you're going to find freedom. I promise you, you're going to live the life that God has called you to live. All right, main idea tonight is this, to move the mountains of, or to move the mountain of lies, we must embrace truth. To move the mountain of lies, we must embrace truth. I pray that if you get anything out of tonight's message, that you would get the fact that Satan is lying to you all the time, He's trying to destroy you. I pray that you would understand that God's way, as revealed in the Bible, actually leads to freedom. And I pray that you would realize that the way to truth and the way to freedom is to believe rightly and to obey rightly. If you don't know how to read the scriptures for yourself, because a lot of this is all about reading the Bible, right? If you want to just break it down to something to do practically, read the book. And if you do that, or if you want to do that, like we have small group leaders. I don't know if you've heard of them. But their whole job is to teach you how to have a relationship with Jesus. So I'm not going to explain it to you tonight, but I encourage you to go to your small group leader and say, teach me how to read the Bible. It's confusing. It's boring. I don't understand it. Please help me, right? That's what they're there for is to help you. We've all thought this book was boring at times. It's okay. But God helps us. And as we begin to understand it, we find that it's like this like this river of living water and that it refreshes us but it it, it takes a little bit to understand it to get a good rhythm in to get a habit in of reading it daily and I believe that as you begin to drink from this book so to speak every single day as you begin to allow God to deconstruct the lies upon which you've built your life and instead replace it with truth and, and build your life on that foundation I believe you're going to find freedom and I realize tonight that everyone here is at a different place everyone's here Everyone here is at a different place in your journey. It's so hard to preach to because I know you're all over the spectrum on this. And I want to try my best to speak to each group of people. I think there's three. Okay, usually it's three. I don't know why. It just works for me. But I think there's three groups of people tonight. Okay, so verse 47 of John 8 really captures this. It captures two people, two types of people. Uh, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. So some of you came in here tonight. And you are like the first part of that verse. You are of God. And you truly hear his words. And you know Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. He's your king. You're seeking to obey truth. You're seeking to live out truth. If that's you, I want to encourage you tonight that Jesus sees your heart. He sees your hunger. Although you struggle at times both to believe the truth and to obey the truth, he sees that desire to believe it and to obey it. And you're struggling. I'm struggling still. I'm struggling with some of this stuff. I'm, I'm struggling to truly deny myself and take up my cross. But God is most pleased, not with perfection, although hopefully we're growing, but he's pleased with the desire to please him. 
when he sees that desire in your heart, that ember in your heart that's burning, that says, I want to please God, it pleases his heart so much. He's not after perfection. He's after hunger, and he's after progress, right? So that's, I just want to encourage you that he sees you tonight. He loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's proud of you, all right? Second group of people. Others of you came in here tonight, and you're kind of in the middle of these two people that Jesus describes. You're not necessarily totally of God, like you're not necessarily completely obeying him, and you're also not like completely opposed to him. So maybe you've even professed faith in Jesus, just like these people did a few verses prior, and then, you know, Jesus calls them, or calls them uh, the devil, so it kind of screws things up there, the whole intimacy and fun that they're having. But like maybe you can relate with those people. You have professed faith at some point, but you struggle to really bring your life under submission or in submission to Jesus. If that's you, I just want to encourage you tonight to, to make a commitment. To say, I'm going to read this book, okay? I'm going to ask my small group to help me, and I'm going to try to, to not only let it be the foundation of my life as far as right belief, but also I'm going to try to obey it. And I promise you, as you do that, I really believe that you're going to find freedom. I really believe that God's going to lead you into something new, that it's, it's not going to feel like such a, tension, like you're being pulled in two separate ways, but God's going to propel you into this abundant life that he promises in John chapter 10, okay? The final group tonight is the people in the, in the last part of that verse. It's, it's those who are not of God at this point. Up until this point of your life, how you've, you've never made a decision to make Jesus your Lord, and you've never accepted his sacrifice that he gave you on the cross. I pray tonight, you know, all this truth stuff, I want you to get it, right? But, I, or, but before we can have a heart that's ready to receive truth, we have to know God's love, right? And we have to know how he feels about us. And tonight I pray that you would think about the cross. If you've never heard about the cross, which, you know, I think most of us have, but if you haven't, God himself in Jesus Christ came. He lived the human life with all of its struggles, all the ice. I don't think they had, I don't think they had ice in Israel. I'd have to look up the weather, but point is, he came with all the junk in the world. He lived a perfect life. And then he was rewarded by being put on a cross and punished for sinners or for the sin of the world, right? He died in your place. And then not only that, he defeated death. He defeated hell and he defeated the grave by rising from the dead three days later. And now the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. That's all you have to do. You just confess and you believe in your heart. And if you do that, you'll be saved and you'll be welcomed into abundant life. I pray tonight that you would consider making that decision. All right, so if you would stand with me, we're gonna close out here. And I just wanna do something a little bit differently. It's a little bit different tonight. I'm just gonna read a passage to us before we close. And, and, and this is a psalm. So psalms are like songs and poems, Right? And this is the very first chapter of Psalms. And it's this beautiful, beautiful psalm that talks about what happens when you base your life on truth. Okay, so throw it up on the screen. It says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, so on the Bible, Scripture, he meditates day and night. And this is what happens when you do that. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that, that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. 
and all that he does, he prospers. And the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I read that tonight to say this. I pray that this community would plant ourselves in the word of God and we would be like a tree that naturally bears fruit. I believe if we will base our lives on Jesus and his word, I believe that there will be much fruit bared on this campus, not only in your life, but also in the life of our campus. We're gonna see our campus change. But it starts with us truly planting ourselves in Jesus' word. So bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray for us. There's two ways to respond, just like every week. The first way is this. If you came in here tonight, and as I shared about, as I shared about what Jesus did for you on the cross, how he died for you, how he rose from the grave, if you heard that tonight, and you recognize that you are not in right relationship with Jesus, and you've never accepted that, or maybe you once did, but you've walked away from it, and you've been rebelling from the Lord, I pray tonight that you would put your faith in him. There's nothing magical. There's no... There's no magical uh, formula to pray, but instead it's, it's just the surrender. It's this trust in Jesus. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. Nobody's looking around, and, and I want you to slip up your hands just as a signal to, or to God between you and him. So one, two, three. Slip up your hands all across this room so I can pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else in this room? All right, you can put your hands down. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And you just pray in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. That's all you got to say. There's nothing magical. Just, Jesus, I trust you. I love you. Save me. All right, so Jesus, we pray that. God, we pray tonight that you would make new creations all across this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to dwell inside our hearts. God, I pray that you would make us brand new in this place. God, I pray that the old would be in the past. I pray that, uh, that the old or the old us would be dead, and I pray that you would invite us into a newness of life. So God, we pray that tonight. And there's, and there's one more way I want you to respond, okay? So if you're in this room, and you are struggling with this idea that, or if you're struggling with the devil right now, you're kind of in a battle, like he's telling you some lies. It could be about anything. He's telling you some lies about yourself. He's saying you're not worthy. He's saying you're not lovable. He's saying you'll never find a spouse. He, he, he's telling you lies. He's telling you, oh, I'll never or God's not going to provide for you, or he's telling you God doesn't want to be around you. It could be a number of things, but if Satan is telling you a lie tonight, and you need the Holy Spirit of God to speak truth into your being tonight, I just pray that you would raise your hands to heaven right now and surrender that to him and say, Jesus, I need a fresh wind of your truth tonight. So Jesus, you see our hands in this place. God, I pray that your truth would flow through this place. I pray that lies that lives that we've believed for so long would be crushed in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you would replace it with truth. God, I pray that you'd move the, mountains of, the mountain of lies and replace it with a deep understanding of truth. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.